The market analysis segment is coming your way in seconds. I'm John Torpy, producer at Market to Market. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Welcome in to the Friday, March 25, 2022 version of the market analysis segment for Market to Market. The market appeared to put war headlines in the rearview mirror and turned attention to weather patterns ahead of next week's two big government reports. For the week, the nearby wheat contract added 39 cents while May corn gained 12 cents. Seed oils and profit-taking faced off for traders this week in the soy complex. The soybean contract expanded 42 cents. May meal strengthened by 10.90 per ton. May cotton jumped 9.04 per hundredweight. Over in the dairy parlor, May Class 3 milk futures gained 86 cents. The livestock sector was higher as well. June cattle improved 4.43. May feeders expanded $1.60, and the April lean hog contract moved 7.67 higher. In the currency markets, the U.S. dollar index rose 55 ticks. May crude oil skyrocketed up $10.33, or 10%. Comex gold lost 30.30 per ounce. And the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index added more than 45 points to finish at 766.10. Joining us now to provide some insight is Elaine Cubb. Elaine, we could just discuss numbers and make everybody's jaw drop. Those are exciting numbers. Well, they're exciting, but they have to be tempered. When you look at wheat, I mean, we easily could discuss Ukraine, but it looks like weather. But let's start with when the mainstream press starts writing about wheat, does that mean that the rally is over? No, not necessarily, because you're right. I've been noticing that uh, more headlines, more stories suggesting that investors get into commodities, which they should have been doing six months ago as sort of an inflation hedge. But if you continue to attract more of that money, you could continue to attract more long interest and higher prices. It's not a politically popular thing to do when you get speculators driving up the prices of food for people in the grocery store. But it's something, uh, I'm sure, a story we're going to continue to hear about. We mentioned the drought monitor earlier. Uh, It is still dry. There was some relief in the wheat areas of the United States too little too late not enough I don't it's not too late I mean in Kansas where there's something like 25% good to excellent ratings and 36% poor or very poor ratings as the wheat is coming out of dormancy all of western Kansas is in drought 70 some percent of the entire United States winter wheat crop is in some sort of drought and some of it is exceptional drought so yes they had some precipitation but they need more and I don't know. And the long-term outlook doesn't necessarily provide it. There's still the ongoing La Nina and the ongoing uh, chances of continued dryness. So given what, that there doesn't appear to be any end in sight with Russia, Ukraine, and this dry story here, and I know we're not the only three areas that produce wheat, but that story doesn't appear to be going away anytime soon. How do you take advantage right. or position yourself? Yeah, I mean, let it let it ride. If you're a United States wheat producer, we have not seen the export business come to the United States yet. The the last weekly export sales report was not super exciting for any of the grains. We haven't seen tenders come from the Middle East or North Africa to the United States yet. But yeah, if the Ukraine and Russia thing continues to go on, we're not going to make it all the way to 2023 without having to get some new customers here in the United States. Is the market done buying acres? Let's talk corn. Oh, no, it's not done. I mean, we're just We have a week started. to go. 
Yeah. Before I mean, the report, anyway. That's... Right, the prospective plantings report coming up on Thursday. But And corn is the, is the favored winner here. I mean, you're talking 92 million acres is what they last said in the February outlook. Could be more by the time this prospective plantings uh, report comes out because the market prices for new crop prices has have continued to favor corn over soybeans, even over some of the other crops, but not necessarily the specialty crops. You mentioned sunflowers earlier in the show. Um, your canola, two, some, two million acres or more of canola could be in play. Cotton is very profitable. You mentioned how big the jump in cotton was this week. I mean, that's old crop. But even the new crop at 110, that's going to buy some acres of cotton. There's a lot of things that are coming in that could pull some of those acres away from the corn and the soybeans. But corn is still the winner. So even though a report might say something on Thursday, there's still the, I have to actually put that seed into the ground and we won't know for a while. I have to put that seed in the ground and I have to fertilize it. Now, I hope that most farmers have locked in some fertilizer prices and are not just waiting to see how much higher fertilizer prices go because they're about five times what they would have been a year ago. But that plays into the decision of what you're going to plant. Is it going to be a high fertilizer intensive crop like corn or are you going to try and skimp on some other crop that may be able to get by with less fertilizer? So it's very much still in play. And that was a story we did a couple of weeks ago talking about maybe this is the year you don't put that extra 10% safety net on your field. Let's go to soybeans for a moment, uh, Elaine, because you mentioned sunflowers and that seed oil debate. Is the soybean producer paying enough attention to the global seed oil picture and how does that help make a decision? Yeah, and I think we've talked about it on this show is that ordinarily the soybean crush is led by the meal prices, by the feed prices. But lately, as of about October of 2021 and onwards, the oil part of it is a bigger proportion. It's about 40% of the soybean crush comes from the value of the oil itself. So as you continue to see Malaysian palm oil hit new record highs, that's sort of the benchmark of global edible oil prices. But soybean oil in the United States and in Chinese futures follows right along. Sunflower oil, canola oil, every kind of oil, they're all highly correlated and tightly related. So when you have sunflower oil, you know, 50% of it ordinarily comes out of Ukraine to the global export markets. And without that, things are very tight. Things are very expensive, very motivating. Very expensive when it comes to the Brazilian real, the currency level there. I believe it's the high, at at one point this week, highest in 21 months. So we haven't even mentioned South America yet. We're five minutes into this discussion. What's, uh, again, as a soybean producer, if I'm holding any old crop, do I keep holding? Yeah, I think you can, especially you mentioned the Brazilian real, and that doesn't automatically play into higher U.S. prices, but it allows U.S. prices to go higher in competition. You know, if China has to pay more for Brazilian soybeans, they can then afford to pay more for United States soybeans. Everything coming out of South America continues to be pretty bullish. They've had some precipitation, but the ongoing La Nina means that they don't have enough precipitation. Argentina cut their corn... Um, you know, projections again. So it, it all continues to be bullish. I can't come up with a bearish thing to, to sort of temper this yet. And not in cotton either. Right. I mean, What's, China continues to buy. Is that the old, you, you mentioned the old crop and the, and, and the new crop. So what is the big story? Is there a difference between the two? Yeah. So the old crop is what, 130, something like that. And the new crop is maybe 110. Still a highly motivating price to get more than 13 million acres of cotton planted. But what you'll notice there is that's an inversion, right? It's like every other uh, agricultural commodity crop. If you look at the futures board, it's inverted, which means higher nearby prices than deferred prices. 
always a signal that the market desperately wants this stuff. The end users want to buy it. They want to get it in their hands. Now let's play an end of commodity quiz with Tom in Wisconsin's question here, Elaine. He asks us via Twitter, as risk grows with price inflation, are there any new or different signals to look for when marketing commodities? Not necessarily. I wouldn't say there's new signals, but what he, is, what he may want to consider is that as you have higher prices, you mentioned the percentages that each of these markets have gone up in the past week. If you're talking about $17 soybeans, a 1% move on $17 soybeans is a lot bigger than a 1% move on $9 soybeans. I mean, that's just arithmetic. Uh, it's a geometric Brownian motion. As you get larger numbers, you get larger movements. So it just is more expensive for people to hold their hedges and pay margin calls. And it's just more stressful to participate in these markets. Um, I don't know that there's different signals, but it's, an, it's a different experience for folks. So is understanding geometric browning. That's a good one. Uh, let's go to feeders. Cattle on feed today, I believe the headline was 1%, yeah. uh, up 1%. What's yep. the big story in feeder cattle? You want to talk about this. Yeah, so that, that sounds like it could be sort of a bearish number, and I think some of the packers have sort of been playing for time, steady cash prices that you saw this week in the expectation of a neutral sort of uh, cattle on feed report because this was right in line with expectations. That was the highest March feeders number um, on record ever. But the reason we have so much cattle on feed now is because those are heifers that are not going to be in the breeding herd next year. So it's just kicking the bullish disc down the road for ensuing years. So why then, you know, you think about why the reason why feeder cattle right now are, are pretty pressured at 160 or thereabouts, it's because of the high feed prices. But if you look into the October or November contract for the babies that are on the ground now that are going to be marketed this fall, those prices on the futures board are more like 185. So what's the difference between uh, feeder cattle in the nearby versus feeder cattle in October, November? The feeder cattle trader, the futures trader, are the only people who seem to think that corn is going to be cheaper in the fall, right? The market itself doesn't even think that. It's still highly inverted and even into the, the 2022 crop. So to me, that suggests that there's a market inefficiency there, and that's an opportunity for folks to be selling. If you've got babies on the ground right now, I would certainly be considering selling those futures at 185 using an LRP contract, insurance policy, whatever, or a futures contract, however you want to do it. I think that's a, a market opportunity to lock in that price. We need to discuss hogs. We didn't even really mention the big story. Mexico's having some health issues with a lot of their herds. They are buying up a lot of U.S. pork. Does this run uh, impact this price move higher? I mean, again, this week up seven. Record high. Seven, yeah, we're at 125, six and a half percent. Yeah, it's a contract high now. And I did look at... Um, if you look in the July 2014 contract, that's the highest, and that got up to 134. So just from a chart perspective, I mean, there's room for that to move, but that's not necessarily a limit. Folks may continue to be willing to buy pork at these high prices. The pork cutout continued to rise this week. The U.S. consumer, the grocery shopper, is not even needing, you know, features to bring them into the grocery store and buy pork. Folks want to buy this meat. The world wants to buy the meat. China wants to buy the meat. I mean, you know, there's just not a lot that we can say to sort of pull that back at this point. Except add inventory somewhere, but it's going to take months to get through. Yeah, and we haven't seen that, you know, the herd really has not been building when you look at the March 1st numbers. We will save cattle, live cattle, because there's a couple of parts of there. We need to talk about a specific story out of Kansas City last week that was talking about don't buy beef at the barbecue place, but that, that's our tease we'll mention in plus. Elaine Cup, thank you so much. Thanks, Paul. All right.
That will do it for this installment of Market to Market. We will talk more in Market Plus, so join us there. Find that free on our website of markettomarket.org. Your loyalty on YouTube is amazing. We keep reaching milestones as more of you keep subscribing and ringing that bell for notifications of new content. Don't miss out and head to youtube.com slash market to market. Next week, it is panel discussion time as we talk stocks and acres. Thank you for watching. Have a great week.